This semester in large group, uh, we're going to be going through the minor profits. We have been and we will be. Uh, the minor profits are 12 small books in the Old Testament. Uh, we'll do one minor profit a week, and we'll look at kind of the overall book and then like a key passage from each prophet. Let me give you a little plug, a la Sid Truman. Uh, they can be life-challenging. They can change the way that we live. Uh, even though they're really old, they still have something to speak into our lives. Um, and they're graphic. They contain some of the scariest warnings, but also some of the most beautiful promises uh, in the Bible. They're like quick, exciting letters, and not like a 1,200-page autobiography of my 8th grade year. <laughs> Sid calls this series uh, Postcards from the Edge. He stole this from Doug Servan, who stole it from Carrie Fisher, a.k.a. Princess Leia of Alderaan. Anyone? <laughs> so as we go through Minor Prophets, and maybe it starts to get frustrating for some of you, or confusing, and you don't want to keep going, uh, let's remember that the Bible, all of it, is God's word for us. Uh, Romans 15, verse 4 says, For whatever was written in former days were written for our instruction, that through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. It means like hard books like Amos or Jonah or Hosea or any of them. Uh, they can instruct us, teach us, kind of encourage us, and they can bring us hope, um, even if it doesn't seem like that. So Jonah, we're going to do Jonah 4, 5 through 11 this week. Uh, last week, Sid did Amos and how injustice is present in our lives and it brings pain and suffering. Um, this week, we're going to look at the end of the book of Jonah. Here's a quick overview of Jonah's story. So God says, Jonah, you're going to go to Nineveh and you're going to preach or prophesy to the Ninevites. And quick fact, Nineveh is where Mosul, Iraq is, the second biggest town in Iraq or city. Uh, just the more you know. <laughs> so, so God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah gets scared slash mad, doesn't want to do it. So he gets on a boat going the opposite direction, going to Tarshish. Uh, long story short, big storm comes up. Jonah gets thrown overboard. Big fish swallows him. He's down in the fish's or whale's stomach for three days in the dark, uh, in the stomach acid. And then he, he has this time when he prays to God for mercy. He repents. Um, the fish spits him back up. God sends him to Nineveh again. He goes to Nineveh. He prophesies that um, because of the sin and the evil of Nineveh, in 40 days the city will be overthrown. And the whole city repents. They start fasting. They turn from their evil ways. And so God relents from the destruction that he had promised. And this makes Jonah really mad. So let's look at the end, um, how God and how God deals with Jonah's reaction um, to Nineveh's deliverance. Uh, would you turn with me in your Bibles, if you have one, or uh, your green sheet? To the book of Jonah, chapter 4, verses 5 through 11. That's Jonah 4, 5 through 11. Uh, if you have a Bible, 
find Psalms and go to the right. Uh, it's after Isaiah and it's before Matthew. Uh, I'm going to be reading the English Standard Version translation. Uh, would you stand with me while I read Scripture? Jonah 4, 5 through 11. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do, who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? These are the words of the Lord. Um, the, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the words of our God will stand forever. And would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that you would be with us tonight, uh, that you would send your spirit. Um, pray for myself that I would get out of the way and um, let your gospel be preached to all of us, because we all need it, Lord. Um, I just pray that you would uh, help us to listen to your word um, and to wrestle with um, the great mercy that you show to Jonah and the Ninevites. Um, and we know you're faithful, Lord. We're thankful that you are. Uh, so I just pray that you would be with us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, you can sit down. So let me start with a story. And I'm going to apologize for the intensity, but I think it gets at Jonah's experience really well. It was a spring day in 2010. Connor McBride and his fiancée Anne started to argue about little mundane things. They'd been dating for about three years. They were both 19. This fight was in person, it was on the phone, it was over text messages, and it continued to grow over several days, where the little mundane issues started to snowball into bigger ones and bigger ones, and they were not resolved, they just continued. This eventually escalated to a terrifying level, and after um, Anne telling Connor that she wishes he would die, uh, he went inside, got his father's shotgun, threatened suicide. Um, after she uh, dissuaded him from that, uh, they continued to argue, and we find a furious Connor pointing a shotgun at his fiance. Uh, she was on her knees pleading with him, and he shot her. She was kept alive for several days on life support, and then passed away. But the story doesn't end there. 
Anne's parents were crushed, as you can imagine, but they wanted to forgive Connor. They insisted that they didn't want Connor serving his whole sentence for murder. Through discussions and conferences with the prosecuting attorney, through something called um, redemptive justice or restorative justice, um, they, Anne's parents got his sentence lowered, so Connor will serve 20 years instead of life in prison. When I first read this story, it made me mad. Uh, I was sad that he killed his fiancée, but how, how could her parents forgive him? He didn't deserve that at all. The mercy that they showed Connor in not just allowing them to put him in jail for life it made me mad, and I didn't quite know why. But sometimes life makes us angry or sad or confused, and we don't know why. The point, the point of that is my heart and your hearts are broken, whether we know it or not, and we can't fix it. But thankfully, God uses our circumstances to reveal our sick hearts and to heal us where we are. Let me repeat that. God uses our circumstances or our situation, what's going on in our life right now, to reveal how our hearts are broken and need mending and to meet us there and to heal us. So first, God wants to show us that we're sick. We see that in verses 6 through 8. Let me read those. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. Jonah is mad at God that Nineveh was spared from destruction. Instead of staying in the city, where he just prophesied to and saved the city, I'm sure he was welcome there. Instead of staying there, he goes out into the hot sun and he makes a shelter for himself out of sticks and branches. It's kind of silly. Still hoping that somehow God will somehow punish Nineveh, even though he didn't do it in the 40 days. Even though he chose his own uncomfortable position out there in the desert, God still comforts Jonah by sending a plant to give Jonah shade. So even in his discomfort that he chose, God pursues Jonah and comforts him with shade in verse 6. And then he takes away the shade in verse 7, and he brings a hot, scorching wind in verse 8. But this isn't just to punish Jonah. It's to reveal where his heart is broken and sick. When God brings him discomfort, Jonah's heart, what's really going on in the deep parts of Jonah, surfaces and it comes out in his words. He's so angry at the loss of his plant that he asks God to let him die. He was so set on Nineveh being overthrown, and now that hasn't happened And even the plant that was giving him shade is gone. Jonah feels like nothing is going his way, and nothing ever will. 
He doesn't think God cares about him, and he would rather die than continue in his misery. What are some times when you've been angry, or you've been sad or confused, and you didn't know why, and you couldn't figure it out? Can you think of friends who've been in rough situations that everyone else could see but them, and they didn't know it? They didn't know that they needed help? Here's an example for all of you Arrested Development fans. It's kind of like the Bluth family. They're pretty selfish and dumb, and they don't know it. Uh, Job continues to make the same mistakes over and over again. To quote him, I've made a huge mistake, Michael. <laughs> and he still doesn't learn. He knows that. Tobias is convinced he's a great actor and he's just waiting for that one chance to hit it big and then he'll be set for life. Buster, sweet Buster, doesn't quite realize how weird his relationship with his mom is. And his mom, of course, selfishly manipulates the entire family, her very children, just to make sure she can have her shopping trips and her drinks in the middle of the day. Jonah, our friends, us, and the Bluth family have no idea that we need help. And we're just content to stay where we are. We need to be rescued from that. We can't do it ourselves. Secondly, let's look at God and how he heals our sick hearts. God wants Jonah to see his own anger and selfishness Because only when Jonah realizes that's what's going on in his heart will the healing process be able to begin. Will the repenting be able to begin. Uh, Let's look at verses 9 through 11. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? So here we see that God is so patient with Jonah. He's not uh, a cosmic policeman or your mom on her worst days. He's not coming to slap Jonah around to punish him for still being angry. But he also isn't going to just leave Jonah alone. He's not going to leave him to his own devices. No, he asks Jonah a pointed question to reveal how Jonah feels. Do you do do well to be angry? Jonah is so mad at the loss of this plant that he would rather die. Think about that. Can you, okay, you're you're on the grass by the duck pond. In the middle of July, it's a little hot. You've brought your nice umbrella. You have a blanket sat out. The umbrella is shading you from the sun, at least the upper half of your body. It's nice and comfortable. And someone comes by and snatches the umbrella and breaks it in half and throws it at your feet. And you say, I would rather die (laughs) than put up this. It seems, it seems kind of silly, doesn't it? But here, here's where God shows his love 
for sinners like Jonah and like you and like me who need his help. Jonah didn't have it all together. He was a prophet of God. He had come all the way from his homeland to one of the greatest cities of his people's enemy. The Assyrians would soon um, take captive Israel, scatter them. The Assyrians, we'll talk more about them. Uh, But Jonah didn't have it all together, even after prophesying to Nineveh and, and this huge revival happening. He's still bad. He's still angry and selfish. Um, he couldn't see his own brokenness. He didn't realize that his anger over a little vine, the leaves of a vine, he didn't realize that was broken. And he can't help himself. Jonah saw himself as righteous. I mean, he was, he was a prophet of God, for crying out loud. He felt justified in being angry. He felt justified in being angry enough to die. He thought that was the right thing. But he needs help. Listen to Mark 2, verse 17. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. My point is, we need... We need to be rescued just like Jonah does. We can't diagnose ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. We can't fix anything about ourselves. We're helpless. All right. Insert token Lord of the Rings reference. It's either Lord of the Rings or C.S. Lewis in every sermon. It's got to be that way. Okay, you remember in the Fellowship of the Ring when Frodo gets stabbed by a ring wraith? The journey's just started, it seems like. Well, they're pretty far in, but... They have a long way to go. It's just the hobbits and Strider. They've just left the inn at Bree. They're in high spirits, and they come to Weathertop to spend the night, and they're ambushed by these half-dead, half-alive old king dudes who aren't very happy. And Frodo's stabbed by a poisonous blade. And he doesn't realize how bad it is. It starts to slowly poison his body, and if it continues, he'll become like one of the ring wraiths. Not dead, but not alive, stuck in this weird, wispy world where everyone has to wear cloaks. Um, <laughs> so Frodo doesn't realize how serious his wound is. He just knows it hurts. He doesn't know what a ring wraith is. He doesn't know what this blade is going to do to him. He just knows, oh, well, it, it's kind of bad. It hurts. And it's beyond the ability of anyone in the group to fix it. No one can fix it. Even Aragorn, um, who's said to have the hands of a healer. He needs help from outside himself. His friends can't fix it. He can't fix it. And he, doesn't even know, he doesn't even know the extent of the problem. He's helpless. Um, so where are places where we need healing and rescuing? Just like Frodo did. Just like the Bluths did. Just like Jonah does. Is it in our job? Is it in with our roommates, maybe? Do we need rescuing during Christmas family fun time? Or maybe we need to be rescued from ourselves. Thankfully, despite this heavy talk of, 
us being helpless and broken. The good news of the Bible, throughout the whole Bible, is that God rescues and He heals sinners. Jonah even ends his book with a declaration of God's love and mercy. So Jonah's able, after the fact, to look back on this whole thing and write this account. At the end, God says that, Should not I have pity on Nineveh? A great city. To paraphrase God, full of these pagan Assyrians who mutilate and torture their enemies and their families. They didn't, the Ninevites didn't deserve mercy. Yet God saw fit to have mercy on them, to relent from the destruction he had promised. And that's good news. Alright, I'm going to leave you with uh, Psalm 86, 15, which Jonah quotes right after um, Nineveh repents. And this is his reasoning for not wanting to go to Nineveh. But this can be our reason for rejoicing. But you, O Lord, this is Psalm 86, 15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that you would help us to see how we're like Jonah, thousands of years ago in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and how we're like Frodo in books today. Um, We're helpless. We're broken, Lord. We don't know how to fix it. We can't even see the extent of the problem. So, Lord, I pray that you would be with us. Um, Lord, that we would come to know, um, through faith in Jesus, come to know the healing power of your gospel that you love us uh, despite our brokenness. Lord, I thank you for that good news. And I thank you for my friends here. I pray that you would imprint that on my heart and their hearts and that we would rejoice in your love. Amen.